while market research and market trends are important in artificial intelligence and certainly valuable for businesses, as well as the majority of the material here at Tech Emergence, it's also worthwhile to contemplate the ethical and social implications farther down the line for artificial intelligence. It makes you wonder how are countries going to deal with the employment problems that may occur with strong AI, if that ever is to exist. How would companies sort of collaborate to hedge against some of those risks? How would countries do the same? America, Spain, France. And interestingly enough, there is a small group of people actually doing just that. That is to say, getting countries to think through how they would hedge against the grander risks and potentials of artificial intelligence into the future. One of those groups is called the Millennium Project, headed up by Jerome Glenn. Jerome joins us this week in the Tech Emergence podcast and talks about how he gets principalities of the world to bring their big industrial players as well as their public players together to talk through what are the possible scenarios of AI 30, 40, 50 years into the future, and how do we potentially hedge against the risks and make the most of the upsides? That is a mission that's very, very congenial to the purpose that prompted me to start Tech Emergence. And so this is probably the most sort of on-purpose interview that I've done since maybe Nayaf al-Rodan close to two years ago. Uh, I very much enjoyed this. I think these are considerations ethically and socially that should be proliferated early on. And it's great to hear of how that's happening today. So those of you who are interested uh, in the ethical and social side of AI, I think we'll dig this one. This is Jerome Glenn, who is head of the Millennium Project here on TE. So Jerome, I wanted to start first with some of the scenarios that you're using with countries. You, you're just coming back from Spain. You met with a lot of you know, public sector groups around what's coming down the pike with regards to artificial intelligence. What are the concerns that society, not just big businesses who are interested in profit and efficiencies, need to consider? What are some of these scenarios that you're exposing to nations to have them think through what AI could mean and be for their societies? We wrote three scenarios based upon a global set of surveys and feedback systems around the world. We have 60 nodes. These are groups of individuals and uh, institutions that are sort of future-oriented, government from universities and corporations, NGOs, and so forth. We pull all this information together and produce these three scenarios. first one is called, it's complicated, a mixed bag. So you imagine everything that can change and then make it more complex than you think is possible and sort of double it, and you get that sort of idea. So even though it's sort of business as usual, it doesn't mean there's no change. It means if you had accelerating change, it continues to accelerate. We assume in all three scenarios, even the negative one, that artificial narrow intelligence, that's what we have today with yep. the AlphaGo winning, you know, and your listeners probably already know all this. Yep. But we figured by, by 2030 is a good bet that we get artificial general intelligence. And then that means all bets are off on how fast learning occurs, how fast it's uh, implemented around the world with connection to the Internet of Things and, and replicating the intelligence simultaneously, which means if we're not prepared for economic transition, would hit a brick wall and acceleration of unemployment be fast. And that's a, b a bad picture. But since it's the first one is complicated mixed bag, meaning that like today, you have good decisions and you have bad decisions. So you have certain countries that prepared themselves and did okay, probably with some kind of guaranteed income to help the transition and toward a self-actualizing economy and some economies that don't. So you have a lot of refugees, both environmental refugees, because they don't pay attention to global warming properly. And so the thing starts to hit pretty seriously about 2030, 2035. And by again, time to get out to 2050, 
you got an extremely complex world. you got enclaves and coins of different kinds of people in that world. But it sort of works out. It's not great. There's, uh, there's, there's recessions, depressions. There's a variety of things that happen. Just as last 50, 35, 50 years, yeah. we had a variety of wars and depressions and certainly recessions as well. The second scenario is where we don't have good decisions. And, and to some degree, we don't take AI seriously. And as a result, the brick wall is hit in 2030. You have massive unemployment. Governments can't handle it. You have increasing fiefdoms of corporations taking over a lot of things, as well as organized crime. Organized crime plays a very big role in this. Because when you have social irregularities, as we have in the world in some places more than others, organized crime fills the gap. Yep. And that's a that's a that's, that's there. And by 2050, you got psychological despair in the world. By 2030, things work out nicely. You've got a lot of conversations that happen around the world. They consider how you can you can you can change the education system so that you start to look for economic activities worldwide rather than just in your neighborhood. So you invent yourself. More and more people are self-employed in this world. This is when we call it if humans were free. Right now, humans are anxious about making a living when they get out of college. Yes. Right? Am I going to get a job? So if you have some sort of transition, and, and we figure that the money is not enough to do it today, so people will be talking. And they're talking now that Finland's going to do something on guaranteed income. You've got some stuff going on in Brazil. You've got some stuff going on in, in India. There's other experiments around. Uh, one of the things your listeners should know is that the research is pretty clear. You give somebody some basic income stuff, they tend not to be lazy because you're not giving them enough to be rich. <laughs> you're giving them enough so they're not out in the street starving to death. Yeah. But that gives a, a people a basic security thing upon which... You can start to explore who you are. You can start to use your AR avatars at this point that goes off while you're sound asleep, running around the world, picking up all kinds of ideas, wakes you up and says, Dan, good morning. I got 75,000 great opportunities for you. I know you can't do all 75,000. So I've taken the liberty of picking out 12 that have economic implications for you. And another three that you want to do just because it's cool to do it. And then you talk back and forth with your avatar, work it out because you can't do all 12 of those sort of things so that you're making income in a diverse way. But that's not happening tomorrow morning because we don't have the AI avatars. No, no. I was going to say, well, I was was, was like, man, I could use one of those right now. No doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff. The scenario is about 33 pages. So this is these yeah, are detailed. Paying, these are yeah, like discussions yeah. of scenarios. Yeah, like a lot of, of stuff. This is We're actually real here. detailed stuff. But it implies an economic change in number three of a self-actualizing economy that people make a living out of self-actualizing in the process of doing just like we made a living out of food, shelter, and clothing. You know, their basic security needs. We have we have got building industries. We got the food industries. All, but then as they get increasingly run by synthetic biology, artificial intelligence, analytics, all the rest of those sort of things, three D printing, then those basic Things of human development are taken care of, so then we are freer to invent the future, and that is a potentially extraordinary future because it's reasonable to assume that most people by 2050 can be an augmented genius. So if you're an augmented genius, you have access to all this stuff worldwide. Your basic needs are, you know, guaranteed, so at least you're not out in the street. Then how much creativity could we create? We like to say that in Western history, the Egyptian priests, leisurely priestly caste created philosophy and much the out-of-key mathematics, a lot of that sort of stuff. So what happens when many people in the world, millions and millions and millions of people, have such kind of freedom, except they're technologically augmented geniuses? 
that's interesting world. Oh, it, it certainly is. And I'm actually surprised, Jerome, that you're getting, you know, executives at the largest, you know, telephone companies in Spain or, you know, oil companies or something like that to consider those kind of scenarios, which, you know, they sound kind of snow crash like or very, very kind mm-hmm. of sci- science fiction. Like you, you'll actually take people this far. People in the, oh, yeah. the public sector yeah, have, and in the business? Have, you have to. Because we, before we began, we, we reviewed every, we, OECD and all the rest of these other studies. Have been, there's, there's lots of studies on this sort of stuff. But they are short-term. They're primary consequences. And their primary answer is, gee, wow, we'll just improve science and technology and engineering, math, education, and everything will be fine. No, it won't. That'll be good up until 2025 or 2030. But after that, you hit your brick wall. I mean, it's, so we have to really lean back and say, okay. Take a deep breath, think it through. And so these senior executives around the world, they clearly get this because they understand their corporations are going to be automating and using artificial oh, yes. intelligence. They're, they're beginning. They, they know all that. So, so, so it gives them an opportunity to say, okay, I can run my company with far fewer employees in the future. But what the hell is going to happen? Because if they all riot, go to the streets and, and have revolutions, I can't sell my products. Yep. So. Business, you know, serious large-scale businesses—they get it. I mean, they usually get it, uh, and they need help because they're, they, you know, they, yep. Because this is a social change. Yep. This is a cultural change. It's a new kind of economics, and and businesses can't do it by themselves. You know, we need rock and roll singers to talk about it. We need movies to portray it. We need all, we, we need to have a real conversation. Yeah, we need to conjure the full spectrum of the conversation. That's right, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Well, I'm very congenial with the idea of thinking to that degree of far outedness again not crystal balling but kind of saying hey let's right. say this went in this trajectory for this long here's right. where we could be what does that mean it's a great place to start you had mentioned right. there was another scenario and like in the middle of the story here yeah. uh, where it's about yeah, to get are. scary where where yeah. you said that there's sort of the darker scenario that you make people think through what is that what does that look like well uh on the ai side of the house individual acting alone will be able to make and deploy weapons of mass destruction. Now, you can imagine this all the way from synthetic biology, electroimagination flow, all the way to nanotech small micro armies that get deployed that people can't even see, to new forms of information warfare to manipulate the internet system so that people don't trust the communication systems, which then more or less makes people paranoid. Not, you know, chemically paranoid in the brain, but behaviorally paranoid. People don't trust each other. It's conniving. It, it, all the, the bad values come out are there. there there's fiefdoms uh, get created. Uh, it's, it's really quite a, a, a negative scenario. And the purpose of doing scenarios, one of the ones, is you show cause and effect links going into the future so that it's a, a plausible story. You can't just simply say, oh, it's a disaster, like a lot of quote scenarios do. You can see how if we don't do certain things, how it can spin out of control. Because a lot of the support systems break down as well. So a lot of your plumbing systems, your water systems, your electrical systems, it's not as bad as Syria, but it's like a, a mother version of Syria with the addition of inability to trust information and communication systems that can be manipulated by people with both cyber warfare as well as information warfare. It's a negative deal. We don't want to do that. Definitely not. And yeah, I guess that is one of the bigger future concerns. And I'd love to be a fly in the wall hearing executives and researchers talk about this. I I have to some degree here on the show. And again, we've had We've had the Bostroms of the world who speak about somewhat similar topics, but I, I think that's a, a really pressing one is the whole, you know, right now, you know, to make a nuclear warhead, 
you know, it's not like you just need enough juicy fruit bubble gum and, you know, paper clips and like, you know, a, a pinch of, um, you know, celery salt, you, you really have to, you got to have some resources, some facilities, mm-hmm. a lot of expertise, you know, it makes noise. It, I mean, from the sky, you can kind of tell like, oh, you know, they could be making nukes in there. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and, and we do tell uh, as nations upon one each other, one another mm-hmm. in our sort of non-proliferative checkups. We know about North Korea, right? Yep. Yep. And, and so to your point, you know, biological and, and, and in, in the AI and the nanospace, that becomes a really tough concern because, you know, how do you get in every basement? You know, how well, do you I get thought, in? There is some stuff here. Oh, we just had a, a meeting. We did a workshop for NATO uh, last month, and the focus was on this stuff. It's interesting. One of the conclusions out of both the AI and work stuff and the AI and related terrorist stuff turns out to be similar in the sense that we're going to have to create a new social contract between governed and government. This isn't something that gets fixed at one time, just like a defense strategy. You don't create it in 1776 and you don't change it forever. You're constantly, it's a rolling discussion and rechanging your strategy and correcting when you veer off to one direction, you are self-correct and you, you know, and all the AI stuff will obviously help us with that. But one of the things that was important in the, the NATO workshop that came up is that the first line of defense on a single, we call them CMAD, single individual massively destructive CMAD. Uh, one of the de- first line of defense against a CMAD is the neighborhood. It's not the police and it's not the military. It's the neighborhood. They're the early warning system. And now how do we, how do we create a relationship in the neighborhood and the military and policing and FBI's and so forth systems without turning the world into a Gestapo? Okay. Yeah, yeah. To, 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 I was going to say, it's Saddam used yeah, the neighborhood right. too, you know, Jerome. You know, like. That's right. Oh, I understand. I understand. That's why we have to do this as a conversation. See, Saddam yeah. comes in and says, this is how it will be. But the Communist Party comes in and says, this is how it will be. Yes. What we want to do is sit down. Look, you don't have to do this tomorrow morning. The yep. answers don't have to be there next week because it's complex. It's going to take us years of conversation. Oh, yes. Years of conversation. So we have to begin. The sooner that we begin, the better. But, but it was striking to me. That both in the scenarios, the idea of a new relationship between the government and the governed on the economic AI side is some form of transition guaranteed income. And on the, the terrorist side, some form of new kind of trust of information flows between the community and the policing systems of yeah. some sort. Uh, we have a, like a, in, the, in the nuclear time, we have this triad, the, you know, the land base, the sea base and the air base nuclear systems. We have, so we have a triad against the, the single individual and massively destructive people. Which is one, the technology sensors, nano sensors, mesh networks. So that should be classified, not my business. And we have that in public spaces, or we'll have that more in public spaces. The second part of the triad is mental health. You want to reduce the wacko as much as possible. We're learning a lot about the brain, you know, all the brain research going on, a variety of ways to make, to get ourselves healed before we go mentally wacko. Yep. That doesn't solve the problem either, but it reduces the problem, just like the first one. And the third part of the leg is that's the public. In the Cold War, the public had no role other than paying taxes. Whereas now, in this future world, the public is the primary force of deterrence. Uh-huh. But and we haven't had a public education about that. You know, we, we just haven't done it. Wow. These things do relate to each other, actually. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all that they do. And the fact that there's already workshops, I mean, what almost bugs me a bit, Jerome, is that it's not evident that NATO is having workshops on these things. You know, I, I think that... Well, we I, haven't 
published the book yet. I, I, oh, okay. I, all right. Well, <laughs> hey, where's your stuff? I, I'm behind. I mean, yeah. yeah. You, you, you got a lot of traveling thing. to do. But I was, I was just going to say, I mean, whether it be press, anything, you know what I mean? Like, I think that the way to spur more of this is probably to have it be known that these conversations are, yeah. are being had. Ah, ah, I can't. Let me interrupt. Go for it. Even though the book hasn't come out, people can see the raw material of Ooh. the presentation. We brought together now 25 or so hot shots from around the world. They can get the actual PowerPoint presentations of everybody free of charge if they go to Millennium with two L's and two N's, millennium-project.org. And if they look in the middle of the front page, there'll be current activities. And the second one is NATO Workshop. They nice. click on NATO Workshop and they click on the name of any of the people in the program and up will come their PowerPoint presentation. Cool. So we, we can't have that much. That. And again, this, this, is, that right now. this is distantly far from being a promotive podcast, but I'll tell you, I mean, I, I, I think, I think, um, I mean, that's added richness to this current conversation because Jerome, I'm curious and seeing that stuff myself. And in fact, yeah. I'm a little yeah. bit annoyed with myself that I wasn't aware that NATO was already having those. I hope that these types yeah. of conversations become more common. As you had said, I, I think it behooves us to do it early now i know i know well, we, that, that we, workshop was an expert workshop so the public wasn't notified but you didn't have john q public walking in the door no no and i, and I think probably it starts with some some individual groups of stakeholders you know balanced from different departments public private whatever but um but i think it, maybe it, it begins there i'm curious as to your your thoughts jerome as to how this eventually makes its way and man, is this tough, but maybe this has already come up in some of these conversations, how this makes its way into like really the big game conversation. You were doing a talk in, in right. kind of the Basque region of Spain. Okay, that's a, a right. region of Spain. All right, now we talk about all right. of Spain. How about Europe? Right. How about like right. the world? So at, right. at what way do you think the conversation becomes proliferated beyond like if Luxembourg right. doesn't right. double check its basements, right? right? Uh, right. You know, that yeah, could right. be bad. This right. is too difficult of a question. I almost feel guilty yeah. asking you, but I'm interested well, in... I, give, I can give you the short Go version. for it. Give me the uh, short one. We, the, the, the scenarios are sent and translated in different languages to the 60 nodes around the world. They then create a steering committee. They then do the workshop, and then the send me the results. We put it all together. We send it back to them. Now, that's one part of the strategy. Another part is there's the International Labor Organization, ILO. And ILO, as a matter of fact, I had dinner last night with one of their, one of their officials, a couple of their officials, and we will work informally with them because they're, they're having an anniversary coming up in 2019, and they have to look at the future of work. Mostly they've been looking at rights. You know, how do you have, like, if, if everybody's going to be in the gig economy, how, how are the labor rights going to be handled? And, 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 you know, all the labor unions have fought around the world for good, you know, ethical rights and so forth. Do these get lost? Okay, so now we're saying, well, guess what? They may not even have a job let alone rights. So we've got to, so you, all your systems around the world, so we'll engage some of the UN systems in these conversations as well. So it's beginning to move. Yeah, I've, I've gotten the sense. This has sort of been the first year where I've been like, ah, shucks, you know, it's kind of happening now. So in, in your perspective, the conversations are proliferated in these, in these sort of individual meetings with individual companies. Other companies who want to tune into that can kind of level up their thought processes around hedging against all these risks and eventually those conversations boil their way to the UN oh, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, I just got an, a, a copy of an article that was done in Spain about the, the well, several pages, several pages of a major newspaper, and I, you know, it got a couple of things wrong. They always get a couple of things wrong. Yep. But they got most, but they got the, the gist of it right. So the, the, it's moving around. One of the people I met with who's the head of BBVA, that's one of the main banks there in Spain. It was over at a, a meeting at the Oxford Harvard thing last week, and so like he was talking, he, he brought the whole thing over there, the scenarios and the discussion. So it's beginning to proliferate. But uh, we need, we need, we need rock and roll singers. You know, we need. In the '60s, it was the music that drove the civil rights, women's liberation. A lot of these cultural changes in the '60s and '70s came out of words in music. Yeah, we got to do this, a similar sort of a thing. We got to uh, get the nerds and the rock and roll folks. To talk together. Yeah, 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 man. Well, Jerome, that that might be a harder problem than governing artificial <laughs> intelligence. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's you know, I, I almost grit my teeth at the notion, like, ah, geez, you know, we got to run this stuff in the middle of football games and like have you know actors talk about it. N- not even because they're necessarily. And there's nothing wrong with acting, by the way. Quick sidebar: nothing wrong with it. Well, we but did, we but, did this, but they're not the guys. With, huh? with climate change, we got. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's like know? whatever's going to move the, the needle, right? And and you can't yeah. you can't blame them. I think it's worthwhile. And so that's a very very curious. That's a very very curious thing. Wow. So I, I guess you know just thinking about a good way to wrap up here, Jerome. There's folks who are really interested in how these technologies will be governed in softer, hard ways as the future moves forward and, and are interested in seeing where that traction happens. Is there anywhere today, whether it be your organization or elsewhere, I know there's a lot of other reputable folks out there who are, who are really aiming to at least kind of further these future conversations. Is there anywhere where the, the public is having a say, where these conversations maybe, unlike some of these government conversations, maybe are involving some folks from the populace. Where do people go to kind of explore this on the level of, you know, I'm just a person, you know, I might not run a multinational? Well, I guess like most things, you start off with Mr. or Mr. and Mrs. Google. Yes, you do. <laughs> and you start off with something like, you know, basic understanding of future long-range issues, artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, etc., and then hit enter, and then follow the, the magic road. So yeah, all right. So that would no, be one basic way of yep, getting yep, yep. They can look at our stuff, too. Yeah, there's there's, there's organizations. I, I'm, I'm really excited for the time where maybe maybe this is, is a point that we can wrap on just to try to get some meat here. Right now, you're speaking with a lot of you know public-private sector. At what point in your own vision for, for your project, the Millennium Project, do you begin pooling the public's uh, perspective to? At, at what point does what uh-huh. you're doing yeah. start yanking in uh, folks? You know, right. I'm here in the Bay Area. There's plenty of smart folks that have right. something nice to say about this and, and have, have right. critical thought. When does that begin in your world? Well, that's the purpose of the nodes that we have. So in other words, like we do all this work and the nodes then hold conferences. They write articles, newspapers. They have workshops. They do government summer retreat training systems. So it's the nodes that do like the further outreach. Think of the nodes like an input output device. You know, they call it global local, right? They are the ones that engage more of the public. I mean, a person in Washington, D.C. cannot engage the global public. It's just not physically possible. No. But by 
by having these nodes around the world, they do that. We also are in the process of creating a collective intelligence system in the future of the world that people will be able to subscribe to. And then they can actually put in their two cents. Every single piece of information has a little icon for comment. So we can include people's views and, and see those things in an organized, structured way. When you speak about these nodes, just from, from my knowledge, Jerome, these are maybe, you know, a group of folks, maybe be a, a university and, and, and a, a related group of, you know, researchers or interested yeah. people in this particular topic. Is this kind yeah. of like a meeting? Meetup.com thing? Is it like a very private sort of email newsletter that goes out among these folks? Okay. How, how does this trickle it's, to people? Well, we write a memorandum of understanding with some institution. It can be a ministry of science in a country, or it can be a university. It can even be a, a, a consulting company. It doesn't really matter. As long as they have a mix of players in the game. So that, so that, and then they, in some places, they meet once a month in Australia because they're spread out. They had it on, on, they had video, audio conferences every month and so forth. And they interact as well among themselves on, you know, we have websites and listservs and all that sort of stuff. They can kind of gather on their own as well. I, I hope that, that as we, yeah, we sort of. We call it sort of a trans institution. Hmm. Now, trans institution doesn't exist yet in legal personhood, but hopefully eventually will be. But the idea is that trans institution is all of those institutional categories, but not a majority of any one, so that the people who do the work from those categories, but not a majority of anyone, the money comes from all those categories. So as a result, you can act through government, through NGOs, through universities, and take the best of each institutional structure without dealing with the worst parts of it. Uh, that's a different way of sort of doing implementation. And uh, I I, uh, I hope as the these conversations proliferate, you know, at, at the top, as they certainly are sort of at the bottom, you know, the, the two will meet and that sort of grand yeah. conversation will, will roll forth around, like you had said, what is the social contract? What's the relation between yeah. employees and employers? What are the relations between right. neighbors, governments, right. uh, governments internationally? Right. And right. so we can only, only right. cross our fingers, but it's good to know that there's folks out there putting in hard work on this uh, domain. Jerome, I, I really think that the folks who are tuned in who have any impetus around exploring the ethical and social side of things would have taken a lot away from this. So thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us here at Tech Emergence. Pleasure being with you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.